Hello and welcome to South Asia Chart, the podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, Dr. Chulani Athanayaka, Research Fellow at ISAS. Sri Lanka's current economic meltdown has taken a turn to a political crisis. Soaring inflation and shortage in essentials took the citizens to street in protest. Country is seeking its 17th IMF bailout loan and there are calls for major reorientation in Sri Lanka's economic policies. The situation is a result of multiple reasons including mismanaged and misplaced government policies. To discuss on this matter further, uh, I have with me Dr. Ganeshan Vignaraja, non-resident senior fellow at ISAS. Welcome back Dr. Vignaraja. To begin our discussion, can you give us a bit of the background? The crisis is considered as the worst economic meltdown since Sri Lanka gained independence in 1948. So what are the key trends in its debt and economic crisis today? The first trend is really that on the 12th of April, Sri Lanka engineered what they call a soft default of its foreign debt, which means that the country won't be paying Uh, interest or capital on its foreign loans uh, for bilateral uh, creditors, as well as those from private bondholders. And the symptoms of these crises is really that the external debt to GDP ratio of the country rose sharply, and the overall public debt to GDP ratio is something like 120% in uh, 2021, And that compares with a rise from 91% in 2018. And at the end of March 2020, Sri Lanka owed about $6 billion in external debt service payments against dwindling foreign reserves of 1.9 billion. And over the next three to four years, four to $5 billion is owed to creditors while reserves are expected to be dwindling. And so this situation was not sustainable. Now, the fallout of all of this also involves a significant rise in poverty. At the end of 2020, it was estimated that an additional half a million Sri Lankans were pushed into poverty due to COVID. And with the debt crisis and the Russia-Ukraine conflict, it could get worse. And we have a rising inflation. Uh, The Central Bank of Sri Lanka projects inflation of 18% overall for 2022. Uh, This inflation figure is probably understated according to some external commentators and food inflation is running at some 25%. And this has a major effect on the ability of the poor to buy their staples. And I think diets are changing in Sri Lanka. And we also have uh, the problem of stunting of children and malnutrition, which was historically there and these could get worse. And Sri Lanka's per capita income is expected to fall. It was some $4,000 plus in 2017, when Sri Lanka became briefly an upper middle income country, which was quite an achievement. And now this per capita income in 2021 could be something like $3,700. So Sri Lankans are getting poorer. So we have this multifaceted crisis of induced by the debt, but also some other issues that are going on and uh, creating a general economic crisis. Would you explain how Sri Lanka landed itself in such a situation? To what extent have external factors such as the COVID-19 pandemic and the Ukraine crisis contributed to this crisis? So 
So in my view, there are at least three buckets of factors that are responsible. The first is you, you start this uh, period with a weak economy. We, we are reeling under the issue of a 30-year conflict, uh, which was very costly and probably lowered economic growth in Sri Lanka by at least 1%, according to one uh, set of estimates. We've had persistent macroeconomic imbalances, particularly fiscal deficits and balance of payments deficits. And then we've been borrowing excessively for low return infrastructure projects. A second bucket of factors is really these external events that have uh, created a, a pandemonium with the economy, uh, which are already then hitting a weak economy. And COVID, of course, uh, was one significant external factor. And economic uh, growth in Sri Lanka went into negative territory in 2020. It was three point, uh, minus 3.6% uh, negative growth. Uh, then we have the Russia-Ukraine conflict uh, as an additional layer, which brought in imported inflation, uh, raising food prices as well as fuel prices and have had a transmitting effect through the economy. The third bucket is really uh, the policy missteps by the present administration, um, in spite of a, a successful vaccine uh, rollout, uh, which the Rajapaksa administration can claim some credit for. The policy missteps are probably four. Uh, there are comprehensive tax cuts which have reduced uh, government revenues which were enacted in 2019. There was a ban on chemical fertilizer imports uh, without preparing farmers, uh, which have prompted a surge in food prices and falling output. Uh, we've had expansionary monetary policy uh, beyond the shelf life, basically printing money which has led to inflation on the, on, the, on the theory of some modern monetary theory that was being touted by some people. And then we persisted with a fixed exchange rate uh, without the foreign reserves to support it. So these three sets of factors, uh, weak economy, external shocks hitting this weak economy, and policy missteps probably help to explain uh, the economic uh, morass that Sri Lanka is facing today. So let's talk about the IMF bailout. Sri Lanka has asked for an IMF bailout in the form of a rapid finance instrument loan and this is the third bailout Sri Lanka has requested since the end of the war and IMS is worried about Sri Lanka's debt sustainability before it delivers instrumental help. In Sri Lanka's case this requires coordination and support from its creditors. Can you help us understand this and explain to us what sort of policy revisions we are looking at? So essentially, Sri Lanka needs to do three things to try to get the economy back on track. The first is detailed restructuring of foreign debt, and that is the bilateral uh, holders of Sri Lanka's debt, as well as the private capital markets or the private holders of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. Uh, the multilateral creditors, such as the World Bank and the IMF and the Asian Development Bank are exempt from this. They get first call on Sri Lanka's foreign exchange. A second important component is an IMF program on macroeconomic stability and debt sustainability. And the third important element is medium term structural reforms to stabilize, deregulate and green the economy. In terms of the debt conversation, this is something that is a kind of a precondition for an IMF program. Um, and this has to take place. The government has said that it's going to appoint a law firm and a debt advisor. Uh, this hope, one hopes will happen as soon as possible. So those difficult conversations can take place and private creditors in particular are not very happy about the idea of a haircut, which means they would get less back 
than they have actually put in and their returns will not be assured. In fact, they will fall. And this is a very difficult conversation and I expect they will also lawyer up uh, to have those difficult conversations with Sri Lanka and this will take some time. The second important element is the IMF program itself, which can really only come when debt sustainability exercise has at least started. And there are two components. One is the rapid financing uh, instrument, uh, and that could be around uh, $400 million. And we have to sort of show uh, some progress. And I think the appointment of advisors hopefully will uh, enable us to uh, get that facility of $400 million from the IMF. The second facility is what they call an extended fund facility. And this is the more tricky one. And that would probably be uh, $3 billion, uh, $1 billion each year over the next three years. And that requires you know, uh, Sri Lanka to be closer to restructuring its external debt. Um, and uh, that will uh, essentially be uh, very helpful. So $3.4 billion in IMF money. Now, the huge advantage of the IMF uh, program for Sri Lanka is that we should, over time, get some uh, ability to go back to the international capital market, which is necessary given where we are. Uh, there is a very large debt burden on the economy. Some people estimated as much as over $50 billion in the next uh, few years, which all has to be serviced in one form or another. Uh, and we need to be able to go back to the international capital market in order to be able to uh, get uh, this uh, debt under control over time. A second important advantage of going to the IMF is that we will unlock World Bank and um, ADB and AIIB assistance, uh, which is there. And also there are various bilaterals that want to provide support for Sri Lanka, particularly for the budget and other important items. And this kind of money will come with the IMF Goodhouse seal of approval, if you like. And the third very important aspect is we will get um, the IMF uh, technical assistance, which we will need to go through this minefield that we are facing now. Sri Lanka has never faced simultaneously a, a debt crisis, as well as uh, other economic crises in this manner historically. And the third element I think is equally important is that Sri Lanka will do structural reforms to get the growth process going, because typically IMF programs are really about good financial housekeeping, right? It's getting the government finances under control and the external account under control. And typically they are accompanied by austerity, which means growth will be lower than what we would like over time. So we need to have structural reforms, um, opening up the economy to foreign trade and investment. Uh, Sri Lanka has a lot of red tape, uh, which uh, regulations which have to be cut. Uh, there are state-owned enterprises that are a net drain on the budget, uh, which have to be managed in some form or another and we got sustainable. Some of this may be commercialization, uh, which the ownership is kept in the government's hands. And some of it uh, may also be privatization where there's an attempt to actually sell off some of these assets. Um, the question is whether people want to buy it, uh, particularly when you're under a death crowd. And uh, Sri Lankan Airlines is a case in point. Uh, the Central Electricity Board is another case in point. Uh, and there are others that have been loss-making uh, for periods. So, so um, these are important. And to sweeten the pill, if you like, of reforms, uh, one hopes that the World Bank will give Sri Lanka uh, something like uh, four to six hundred million dollars of what they call conditional cash transfers, which is direct transfers to the poor in Sri Lanka. We already have an extensive poverty program known as the Samurdi program that supports 1.2 million households. And this program under conditional cash transfers from the World Bank, one hopes, will provide additional assistance to that population because poverty is a significant issue, particularly in the urban areas, in the informal sectors. 
and uh, probably underlies much of the dissent and protest that you see in Sri Lanka today because people uh, simply cannot make ends meet and government must be uh, very uh, cognizant of this and be able to uh, provide relief uh, so that at least uh, the poorest of the poor and even the middle classes uh, can have some relief and are able to sustain their livelihoods while this reform process is taking place. Thank you, Dr. Vignaraja. And this is the final question in this podcast. Now, uh, let's talk about the implications for the South Asian region, so to say. Neighboring South Asian countries like Nepal and Pakistan are also facing challenges in their economy. Are there lessons to be learned from Sri Lankan crisis? Is the current situation in Sri Lanka a catalyst for a change in South Asia? So indeed, the debt and economic crisis of Sri Lanka uh, sadly offers many important lessons for regional economies and and countries beyond the region, even in Africa and the Middle East, which are facing uh, pressures. And I uh, hasten to add that not all of this is due to Belt and Road projects, but certainly they are a contributing factor in the story. And there are several lessons that uh, come out of the Sri Lankan case. Um, The first is there are benefits of going to the IMF early Uh, Sri Lanka delayed for some 18 months uh, talking about what they call homegrown economic solutions, which was basically printing money, uh, shutting the economy off to imports, uh, seeking uh, bilateral credit from uh, friendly countries such as China and India, and uh, generally uh, trying to manage the exchange rate. And this uh, combination of policies was probably all right for the short term. It's probably some of the things that you might do to keep an economy from falling off the cliff. But if you keep them in place for the long run, um, or even indeed uh, beyond uh, a month or two, uh, will start generating uh, significant issues, which is kind of the situation we're in after 18 months in Sri Lanka. A second very important lesson is the need for safety nets to mitigate the impact of crises like Sri Lanka has at present on the poor and the vulnerable, and as well as uh, sort of help to stem political instability. And these are the conditional cash transfers that I talked about, uh, which should be administered uh, by the World Bank directly to the poor, um, and also provide uh, food aid, uh, which is also necessary. And I think there should be a rationing system in Sri Lanka reintroduced for essential food items, where everybody gets a fair share of something that they can eat and something they can put into their vehicles, particularly the people who drive the tooks and so on. Um, And I think this kind of rationing card system should be introduced as soon as possible. A third very important lesson is the the need to have effective uh, management capabilities for a crisis. Now, Sri Lanka uh, floundered at the beginning of this crisis by appointing multiple task forces and committees, uh, which were large and, uh, you know, had high level political leadership attached to them. But, you know, they they were not very practical tools. They were inflexible to come and deal with a crisis um, situation. And and now, finally, we are down to having three important advisors who are helping Sri Lanka navigate uh, this crisis, a very eminent economist, but this should have been arrived right at the beginning rather than very unwieldy task forces. And related to that is the very important issue of having an independent central bank so that inflation targeting can be done. And uh, this independent central bank Uh, really uh, should have been there as a a cornerstone of of macroeconomic stability in Sri Lanka. Um, Instead of which we had a monetary board on which the Treasury Secretary sits, uh, and essentially the central bank funds the public uh, deficits of the Ministry of Finance and the the government fiscal deficit, 
Um, and uh, this is really done through money printing and other uh, required means. And uh, th th this has proved to be very, very difficult for Sri Lanka. In the previous case, the central bank governor was a politician. Uh, he had ministerial rank uh, and uh, he behaved like a politician rather than as an independent central bank governor, which is what we solely needed. And the central bank governor in such a situation should be calling wolf when there is actually a problem uh, in the economy and shouting from the rooftops, as one would expect the monetary board to be doing so. But sadly, this was not there. And I think the independence should be encouraged. I think we should have a monetary board with a couple of officials from the central bank, the governor and, and a deputy governor, and three or four independent uh, advisors appointed to the central bank. So that the majority would be an independent group. And this is the kind of model that the Federal Reserve in the United States or the Bank of England has uh, when they make important monetary policy decisions. The very last issue, which I think is terribly important from Sri Lanka, is to have honest public communication to avoid the spread of misinformation. And you know, the, the Ministry of Media and Information here did not uh, you know, uh, call uh, the red light when it was coming into a crisis situation in Sri Lanka and prepare the population for the misery that everyone is seeing from the power cuts uh, through to rising food inflation, uh, through to other uh, issues that have been there. Um, and likewise, people then went to social media to get their information. And the problem with that is that there's variable quality information on social media, a lot of misinformation. So while social media is a good thing and has been a check on government here and in the region, um, you know, it would be much better if government were honest. Now, the new finance minister has said he will be honest, and thus far he has been. And I think that's a very important lesson. So these important policy lessons uh, are critical for Sri Lanka uh, and others in the region to come out of this uh, crisis. Thank you, Dr. Vignaraja, for a very insightful discussion and helping our listeners understand Sri Lanka's crisis better. With that, we have come to an end of today's episode. You were listening to South Asia Chart. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. We are also on social media. You can join us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you.